This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com slash critical to find out more. Ukraine and on the eve of the Winter Olympics, Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping entered into a strategic partnership to cooperate with each other and challenge the power of the West. In this quiz shortcut, we look at the two countries, their shared worldview, and how this new alliance has been challenged by the war. Squish Shortcuts is your backstory to the big news stories. I'm Eliza Harvey. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, we've talked a lot about China in recent times, particularly about President Xi Jinping and his plans for a more assertive nation. Before we get to him, though, let's take a quick look at China's communist beginnings. So at the start of the last century, China was poor and its population mainly lived in the regional areas. There was a civil war and communist revolutionary Mao Zedong won. He established the People's Republic of China uh, in 1949. Mao then cemented himself at the top of the Chinese Communist Party. Then we saw the Great Leap Forward where communities were organised into collectives. And then there was the Cultural Revolution, which started in the mid-60s, and that was to bed down socialism. Millions died through famine and also the crushing of dissent uh, until Mao's death in 1976. And from then on, Claire, China was led by Deng Xiaoping. China re-engaged with the world, the global economy, and it re-established diplomatic relations with America. And we started to see China as a country that adhered to socialist ideals, but was also a player in the global capitalist economy. Yeah, and throughout the 80s and 90s, it was a period of rapid economic development for China. Uh, And by the time the global financial crisis rolled around in 2008, China was growing its economy at about 13% a year. Uh, By 2013, when current President Xi Jinping took over, China was the world's second largest economy. He also announced a policy to link China to the global economy more deeply, and that was through the Belt and Road Initiative. In essence, Claire, it's a Chinese-funded development strategy designed to build economic connectivity and growth in six corridors across Asia and the Pacific. Yeah, China basically funds and builds the infrastructure in these places. The stated goal is to help growth and to have more people buy more Chinese-made products. Uh, But what happens is that it also exerts China's power on the world stage and it's been accused of buying support from smaller nations with that funding that's very hard for the West to match. And meanwhile, Xi has upped the nationalism and we've seen that with China stepping up its control over Hong Kong and posturing to forcibly reunify with Taiwan. These issues have become a flashpoint with the West, Claire. 
Yeah, so long story short, under Xi, China has become more diplomatically and militarily assertive. Xi's more aggressive stance is backed by the huge People's Liberation Army or the PLA. It's the world's largest fighting force with a million personnel and also an arsenal of fighter jets and very sophisticated weapons. That's partly why the Americans and Australia are so concerned about plans to be present in our part of the Pacific. And the bottom line here, Claire, is that Xi's China is different to the China of the 90s and the 2000s and one that rejects the world order that's been imposed by the West. That's right. And it's all about the fight against the existing power structures and rejecting the status quo. Um, And that is that China should become more democratic, capitalist uh, and develop stronger diplomatic ties with the West. What we've seen instead is China cozying up to autocratic leaders in countries like Russia uh, and Iran and others to make new allies with those who want to compete and beat America and its allies. So that's the basics on China. Let's jump into the lowdown on Russia next. Claire, just like China, Russia is a huge country with a huge history and it's also got a huge landmass, the world's biggest in fact. Yeah, but its economy is just out of the world's top 10. Russia comes in at number 11. Uh, Even before the latest round of sanctions imposed by the West, it was weak economically compared to many Western nations and to China, uh, which makes it really hard to wield the kind of power and influence that Russian President Vladimir Putin really aspires to. Before we get further into its current standing, let's look at what made Russia what it is today. Like China, it's centred on its embrace of communism and socialist ideals. Yeah, that starts with the overthrow of the Tsar in 1917 when the Bolsheviks uh, organised the remnants of what was the Russian Empire into the Soviet Union uh, and that continued to be a political force until 1991 when the Soviet Union fell apart. And into this mix steps Vladimir Putin. He was an intelligence officer working for the KGB, which was the all-powerful Soviet Intelligence Bureau. By the mid-1990s, he's in Moscow as the Deputy Chief of Staff to President Yeltsin uh, and then Director of the SFB, uh, which is what the KGB turned into. When Yeltsin resigned unexpectedly on New Year's Eve in 1999, uh, Putin became the acting president before he was elected in his own right in mid-2000 and he's been dominant in Russian politics ever since. Yeah, dominant is putting it mildly. The sort of power Putin has now can only really be understood by likening it to China's President Xi. Basically, he rewrote the rules so he could hold on to power indefinitely. And his style is to crack down hard on his opponents. That includes journalists and opposition figures like Alexei Navalny, who was poisoned by that nerve agent Novichok. Uh, Early on, Putin aligned himself with wealthy oligarchs. They're people who will protect his leadership because they're personally profiting from it. Putin is said to be a billionaire himself, but that's largely hidden, so it's really hard to quantify. 
And another way of building Russia's power internationally was by inserting itself in global conflicts, which the West was also heavily invested in, like Syria. Going into the war in Ukraine, Russia's military was thought to be pretty powerful, Claire. Yeah, it was. Military analysts say that between 2008 and 2012, it did away with many of its old Soviet structures and it pumped it with money and it built a smaller and more professional permanent force uh, and they were tested in places like Syria. And another factor is that Russia is one of a handful of countries with nuclear weapons. It's thought to have about 1,500 tactical nuclear warheads. They're small, but they're mobile weapons that could cause huge casualties if they're deployed. The Kremlin says that they're not going to do that, but it's not a big stretch to see why the West is worried. Yeah, and to sum it all up, Claire, in launching the biggest conflict in Europe since World War II, Putin has put himself on a collision course with the West. Yeah, that's right. And Putin has framed it as an attempt to restore Russia's status as a great power. Uh, It was clear that Putin was uh, harking back to that era of the Russian Empire when he made the announcement that Russia was about to invade Ukraine. But as we now know, that's not really going to plan. No, it's really not, which could have big implications for Putin's showdown against the West. So let's get into the new security alliance between China and Russia and how the war is affecting all of that. Next. Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser, BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure, as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Modern China and Russia have ties that go back to the beginning of China's journey into communism. But by the early 60s, Claire, that friendship unravelled as they fought for supremacy in the communist world. Yeah, and it takes two decades for that diplomatic tie to be completely restored. In 1989, President Gorbachev from Russia visits China. uh, And in 2005, Putin is in charge and China and Russia hold their first joint military exercises. And from that point on, things really improved. And that relationship has really matured since Xi was elected president. Before the pandemic hit, the two leaders had met more than 30 times. Xi has visited Russia more than any other country. In the months before the pandemic hit, both countries were starting to feel a bit alienated by Europe and also by the United States. Russia had been hit with sanctions over its support for rebels in eastern Ukraine in 2014. Uh, China was also locked in a bit of trade war with the United States. So there was this important visit from Xi to Moscow in June 2019. 
Huawei, which is the Chinese telco that had been blocked by a lot of countries in the West, was given the green light to develop a 5G network in Russia. And there was also billions of dollars of new trade that was announced between those countries. And Xi told a media conference on that visit uh, that President Putin is my best friend and colleague. Yeah, that's a pretty big statement there. And Putin agreed. He said that their bilateral relations had reached an unprecedented level. And then they went to the Moscow Zoo and met three panda cubs. So it was quite a scene. (laughs) Uh, Claire, that brings us to the Winter Olympics in Beijing in February. Many Western countries, including Australia, boycotted the Games over the persecution of the Uyghur Muslims in China. Putin, though, he wasn't phased. He travelled to Beijing and signed the security pact with Xi. Yeah, they said that it was superior to any Cold War era alliance and it would also see the countries working together on space, climate change, artificial intelligence uh, and what they called control of the internet, which of course is seen to be an outlet of the West. Uh, There was also an economic component. Putin announced a new gas deal with China that was worth an estimated $117.5 billion. Uh, And in the joint statement, it said that friendship between the two states has no limits and there are no forbidden areas of cooperation. So it's about their relationship, but it's also about the two nations' relationship with the West. Yeah, according to Chinese media, Xi told Putin, and this is the quote, that certain international forces are arbitrarily interfering with the internal affairs of China and Russia under the guise of democracy and human rights. So this sort of commentary really zeroes in on the United States pretty quickly. Experts say that the leaders believe that America wants to overthrow the Russian and Chinese governments and install democratic regimes. And shortly after the agreement was struck, Russia invaded Ukraine, but China has said little about it. It hasn't endorsed the invasion, but it also hasn't condemned it. And US officials say that Russia has turned to China for help. Yeah, they say that Russia asked for financial assistance to offset those economic sanctions, uh, along with weapons as well. It's unclear if China has helped, but America was one to warn China against doing that. And this all leads to a big question mark about how the war will affect the partnership between the two countries, specifically, Claire, how China feels about being in bed with the international pariah. Yeah, and all of that's really unclear right now. Um, Political analysts say the pitfalls of China's partnership with Russia uh, have been revealed, and that's because the war has brought the West closer together and Xi and Putin are the outliers. Analysts say that it's a big risk for China because it's a rising power uh, and far more economically dominant than Russia, whose power is declining, uh, particularly in the wake of those sanctions. So while China might have the will to help Russia, It's too integrated into the global economy to risk being sanctioned itself. Yeah, and what is clear at this stage, Claire, is that the war has signalled a permanent shift in the West towards seeing Russia as an aggressor, and that's something that could reflect on China too. So on Russia, the United States and Europe are trying to isolate and weaken it. That's different to how they've approached it in the last few decades where they've been trying to coexist and cooperate. And NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said, and this is the quote, meaningful dialogue as we have strived for before is not an option for Russia. Uh, And on China, Xi has reportedly warned his officials that the world is entering a whole new era of upheaval. And he said, 
this is the quote, the likes of which have not been seen for a century. So what it means for China's friendship with Russia and its relationships with the West, it's all still to unfold. Yeah, Claire, it's a big one. It's world-changing stuff there for sure. And that's your shortcut to Russia and China's No Limits Partnership. Now on to recommendations. Claire, the West reckons Putin's daughters are hiding some of their dad's cash. I've linked to an article here from the BBC about what we know about them and the lengths the Kremlin has gone to to hide their identity. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, For me, I've got pictures of Xi and Putin admiring the pandas. Their names are Ru Yi and Ding Ding. They're having a great time. They were pretty cute, those pandas, I've (laughs) got to say. Um, And the two leaders definitely enjoyed them. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you like what you've heard, please tell people about the podcast. And if you have any requests, you can send them through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. In the meantime, there are plenty more episodes for you to have a listen to, so get into that. Until next time. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.